Hey, faithful listener, grab your cup of coffee and experience the Bible in a way you never have before. P40 Ministries is a podcast that goes through the Bible cover to cover. It's an awesome narrative that focuses your mind and prepares your heart for God to speak. So join your host, Jen, for a biblical podcast that's hilarious, informative, imaginative, and fun. The P40 Ministries podcast. Listen now as we go through the book of Mark. Happy Tuesday, friends and faithful listeners. This is Jen with the P40 Ministries podcast. Thanks for tuning in and for sharing a cup of coffee with me or a cup of tea as we discuss Mark chapter 15 together, verses 37 through 47. Now, we already kind of talked about verse uh, 37, which says that Jesus cried with a loud voice and then gave up his spirit which means he died. But in order to talk about the next verses after that, I figured we could re-talk about that verse as well. So let's go ahead and read this. I'll be reading out of W-E-B, of course, but you guys, please feel free to read out of whatever version you like to read from. And like I said before, grab that cup of coffee because it's a sleepy, sleepy day today. (laughs) At least I think it is. I'm tired. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about this. Mark 15, 37 through 47. Jesus cried out with a loud voice and gave up the spirit. The veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. When the centurion who stood by opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women watching from afar, among whom were both Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Less and of Joseph and Salome, who, when he was in Galilee, followed him and served him, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. When evening had now come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who also himself was looking for God's kingdom, came. He boldly went in to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead long. When he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. He brought a linen cloth, and taking him down, wound him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been cut out of rock. He rolled the stone against the door of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So there's a few things going on here that I had to research. And one of them was, who were all these Marys? (laughs) Like, man, Mary was a really, really popular name back in these days. Like, why were there so many Marys? And I just, I was so confused by all the different Marys that are mentioned here in this portion. So I looked this up. And so it mentions... A couple Marys in this chapter. One was Mary, the mother of Jesus. One was Mary Magdalene. And the other one was Mary, the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph. And then there was another woman named Salome. And Salome is the only woman here with a different name. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. But I'll go into that in a moment. But anyway, in verse 37, it says that Jesus cries out with a loud voice and gave up the spirit. We find out, I believe in the book of John, that Jesus, when he cried out, he basically screamed, it is finished, and then died. And the the Greek word for it is finished was telestai, I believe, which means that, you know, the work is complete. It has been accomplished. Like that, that is what it means. And Jesus obviously accomplished what he needed to do. So it was no longer necessary for him to, you know, hang on that cross. It was now complete. He was done with what he had to do. He had saved humanity and then he gave up his spirit is what it says. And so when Jesus gave up his spirit, a lot of people believe that is where um, that is when he went down to hell. Other people believe that he did, in fact, go up to heaven. I am under the opinion that Jesus did not go to hell because he did say it was finished. I don't know what the, the point of him going to hell would be. That's something that I guess we're never going to find out because the Bible truly doesn't say whether Jesus went to heaven or hell after he gave up his spirit. But anyway, Jesus completed the work that he had come to earth to do. He completed the work by, you know, bearing people's sins. Something significant happened on that cross where Jesus began bearing the sins of the people. And he was the only person who was able to do this, obviously, because he was sinless. And it needed to be a perfect sacrifice. We find out in the book of Leviticus, we've been talking about animal sacrifices. The animal had to be pretty much perfect. There couldn't be any flaws on the animal. It couldn't be lame. It couldn't be sick. It couldn't have any diseases. It couldn't be blind. It had to be a perfect animal in good health. So perfection is needed in order to take away our sins, which, you know, sins are the opposite of perfection. And so Jesus did that for us as a completely perfect sacrifice, so much better than any perfect lamb because Jesus was first and foremost God's son. Secondly, he had God's spirit on him. Thirdly, you know, he was he was perfect. He was sinless. And lastly, because after he became the perfect sacrifice, he became our high priest, which is what it says in the book of Hebrews. So yes, we still live under a high priest, just like the people in Leviticus did. But now our high priest is perfect. He doesn't have to continue to do animal sacrifices like the high priests in Leviticus would have to do. He is able to just forgive us of our sins if we just ask him. And in fact, it says that he intercedes on our behalf. So he's like going and talking to the father and being like, please forgive, you know, Jen, because Jen did this or that and she asked for forgiveness or whatever. And so like, yeah, Jesus is up there interceding for you and me now because of everything that he accomplished here on the cross. So yeah, I mean, he was the perfect sacrifice for all of humanity and uh, he took God's wrath on him, which is why I believe, uh, you know, Jesus yelled out like, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which indicates that God's wrath was being put on Jesus at that moment. And we didn't have to go through that because who can endure God's wrath? Like, think about that. You know, in the Old Testament, people, if they got too close to God's glory, would just die because they couldn't handle it. And, you know, even simple things like hearing God's voice would just make people sick. Like they couldn't handle how 
fantastic God really was. So who could handle God's wrath other than Jesus? You know, Jesus was the only person who could do this. And obviously, God's love for us chose to not let us go through that wrath, but rather he laid it all on Jesus. So when Jesus screams out, it is finished and he gives up his spirit, he is done with what he had to do. So now there's kind of a curious verse here in verse 38, which says that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to the bottom. So when you think about that, I mean, when we tear a piece of paper, we hold it from the top and go to the bottom, right? That is how we typically tear something. We don't often tear it from the bottom up. I mean, that just makes sense. So this was torn literally by God. <laughs> God took that veil and tore it from top to bottom. And this was a supernatural occurrence. And, you know, when we talked about the veil in uh, the Old Testament, we found out that it this thing was so, so, so thick. And it was heavy, like no human being, the strongest man on earth probably couldn't tear this veil. Like this veil was intensely, intensely thick. And so God instead tore that veil and the veil was signifying the um, divide that humans have with God, you know, because God's presence the Ark of the Covenant would sit on the other side of that veil and then our presence would be have to be on the other side of the veil because we couldn't get too close to God, like I said before, without dying in his presence because God is just too, too glorious for us, if that makes sense. So yeah, I mean, God's presence, in order to protect us, he'd have to sit on the other side of that veil and, um, and that veil would be protecting us from God's glorious presence. But now God tore that veil, signifying that that divide was no longer there. So people could freely encounter God because of Jesus's sacrifice for us. So now we do encounter God and that is through the Holy Spirit. And yes, in the Old Testament, God's spirit was around. It did uh, enter people on occasion. We saw that with Bezalel, he received God's spirit in order to build the original tent of meeting. And, uh, you know, God's spirit was giving him guidance and wisdom and everything. And in fact, God's spirit went on all the people, all the different um, artisans that went into making the temple. So we see that God's presence is around and God's spirit does help people on occasion in the Old Testament. But now, Every single person who believes in Jesus has access to God's spirit. And we know that when we have access to God's spirit, God's spirit gives us fearlessness and boldness and a sound mind. I mean, that's a, that's a verse. God's spirit gives us knowledge, all sorts of different things. And so God was freely now giving out his spirit to everybody on earth who accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made for them. And so now God's, that veil was no longer necessary to divide us from God. And now we have this free gift of being able to come to God whenever we want or being able to talk to Jesus and Jesus will talk to God for us, kind of uh, like the high priest would. So yeah, I mean, that was signifying that divide which no longer has to be there unless we choose to create a divide between ourselves and God, which we often do. But anyway, so the, the veil of the temple was torn in two. So then after this, the centurion 
who was watching Jesus saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last. And he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So there was something so fantastic about everything that Jesus had just done on this cross. And, you know, the centurion was probably there this entire time and had probably performed tons of executions, tons of, uh, of crucifixions, possibly, and probably never saw any man react the way Jesus had on this cross, where he was saying, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, that's a verse that um, I think Matthew stated that Jesus had said that on the cross when people were just making fun of him and, you know, just mocking him on the ground. Jesus was forgiving them on the cross. You know, he was talking to the uh, two criminals on either side of him. And the centurion is watching all this, you know, he's watching it. And then finally, when Jesus screams out like this, it is finished. There's something so powerful about that, that this centurion who possibly had an open heart towards God, as compared to the Pharisees, that their, their hearts were so hardened and they refused to allow God, you know, to work with them. The centurion saw all this and believed Jesus to be the son of God. So then after this, it says that there were some women watching from afar. So we know that there were women around Jesus's cross. We know that um, Jesus's mother was there. We know that this woman, Salome, was there. And then there is a handful of other Marys that were there. And yeah, I mean, Mary was such a common name. <laughs> Back in uh, back in those days, which is funny. Yeah, so this was something that really like confused me. I'm just like, who are all these Marys? So we see that there's a Mary named the Mary, the mother of James the Less and of Joseph. This is the Mary that confuses everybody because we know that James and Joseph were actually Jesus's brothers. But here it says James and Joseph which some people say that is a it, it's a different name for Joseph and that this was Jesus's mother, this Mary, that was uh, the mother of these two boys. This Mary possibly could be Jesus's mother, but some people say that it's possible that this was Mary's sister. I've heard that one as well. But to me, that just makes no sense because what parent in their right mind would name both their kids the same name? <laughs> <laughs> to me, that just makes no sense. And then on top of that, why would this Mary, who is apparently the sister of Mary, who had Jesus, name her kids the exact same names as her sister, which was James and Joseph? So to me, that, that just does not make sense. What makes the most sense to me is that either this is Jesus's mother or this is a different Mary who had a son named James and a son named Joseph. Because we do find out later on that this Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, was also married to a guy named, um, oh gosh, what was his name? Cleopas, I think. And so some people are like, oh, well, maybe after Joseph died, Mary's husband, she remarried this man named Cleopas. But I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of speculation as to who this Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, is. But um, I don't know. I do not know. I don't know if this was a different Mary that had similar names 
or if this was the same Mary, the mother of Jesus. Hopefully I didn't confuse you guys a little bit more. (laughs) But either way, it was Mary Magdalene was there and Mary, the mother of James, the less and of Joseph. And then this other woman named Salome, who we actually know was the mother of um, the two sons of Zebedee. So Salome was Zebedee's, uh, Zebedee's wife. So it says that they were watching Jesus from afar and, uh, you know, they followed him, they served him, and many other women uh, came up with him to Jerusalem. So anyway, it says now that um, evening had come because it was preparation day. We talked about how it was preparation day and uh, preparation day was every single Friday because Saturday was the Sabbath day. So people had to get ready for the Sabbath day. And this meant that um, with the way Sabbath day worked back then, it was actually from the evening before to the evening of, if that makes sense. So the Sabbath would start Friday night and go on until evening of the Sabbath day. Then that was that would be considered Sabbath. So people had to hurry and do stuff because you remember that Sabbath day, you weren't allowed to do a lot of stuff. So um, Joseph of Arimathea, this is a completely new guy. He says that he was a prominent council member who himself was looking for God's kingdom. This sticks out to me because guess what? Joseph of Arimathea was there at Jesus's trial. We find that out because Mark actually says that when the um, trial was going on, All the council members were there. So Joseph of Arimathea was secretly a Jesus follower, but yet had remained quiet during Jesus's trial and had not stuck up for him, had not done anything and had not boldly come out against the Pharisees because he was probably terrified. So we find out that Joseph of Arimathea was a Jesus follower. Yet he remained quiet when Jesus was being condemned to death. And so it says that now he boldly goes. He probably had so much guilt not saying stuff that he was over it at this point. Because when he boldly went to Pilate to ask for Jesus's body, he had a lot on the line. Because not only could he possibly get in trouble by Pilate himself, And he probably did not want to be on Pilate's bad side. But if any of the Pharisees found out about this, he would immediately be ostracized. He would immediately be possibly excommunicated. Like he had a lot on the line by going and asking for Jesus's body. But finally, you know, Joseph gets that boldness, possibly out of guilt, possibly for not saying anything during Jesus's trial, to go and ask for Jesus to have a proper burial. So Pilate, when he finds out that Jesus is dead, because it's only been a few hours, like it's only been, how many hours by this point? Like eight hours or something like that since Jesus was crucified, that um, Jesus is dead. And possibly crucifixion could take days of just excruciating torment. But Pilate's like, oh my gosh, Jesus is dead already. So he asks the centurion, he's like, is Jesus dead? And the centurion's like, yeah, you know, Jesus died. And the centurion could have been the same one standing there next to Jesus when Jesus screamed out, it is finished, and became a Jesus follower. 
But yeah, I mean, this centurion knew that Jesus was in fact dead because he saw many, many people who uh, had gone through crucifixions and he probably knew a dead body when he saw one. So yes, he says to Pilate, yes, Jesus is dead. So Pilate allows Joseph of Arimathea to take the body and to wrap it up and put it in a brand new, fresh tomb. We talked about that in Matthew, and I kind of went into the tomb a little bit with you guys, which was kind of funny because it's possible that that tomb lost a lot of value, even though tombs back in those days would have been really expensive, especially one like that. But it possibly lost value because of the crucifixion site was so close to it. But yeah, anyway, Joseph of Arimathea takes Jesus's body and quickly wraps it up because the Sabbath day had happened, so it was unable to be prepared with the spices and everything else that went into um, wrapping up a dead body. So they just quickly do it, and they do it neatly, but they, they put Jesus in his tomb. But it says that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And that is where we end today. So yeah, guys, this was uh, the end of Mark chapter 15. Hope you guys join me very soon for Mark chapter 16, which I am very excited to talk to you about. It's the last chapter in Mark, but I'm mostly excited because it is the story of Jesus's resurrection, which is what we call Easter Sunday. So friends and faithful listeners, you know, I have an Easter devotional out there, which is the mommy and me coloring devotionals, which goes through Holy Week. And, uh, you know, it's something you can do with your kids, color with them together, and then do the devotional together. There's one for parents and there's one for children. They go side by side, hand in hand, so that the parents can color more advanced pictures while their kids color less advanced pictures. And then, of course, there's the devotionals so that the parents can teach the children everything in the devotionals as well. So you guys can take a look at those. I'll drop a link to them. They're available on Amazon so that you can possibly get those for your kids and for yourself even, especially coming up Holy Week. You know, uh, Easter is not that far away, surprisingly. It's only in a couple more months. So yeah, friends and faithful listeners, have a fantastic rest of your day. Happy listening and God bless.